All right, let's get it started. Welcome, everybody. I wanted to welcome you to First Wednesdays. This is our once a month faith and culture gathering where we come together, we share a meal, and we talk about different aspects of culture and how to view them through the lens of the good news. So we believe that all of life is all for Jesus, and that includes everything. That includes economics, it includes education, it includes sports, justice, art, the whole realm of things. And so I just thought I would start tonight off by showing the highlight of Luis Gonzalez hitting that, that, that final hit in extra innings to give the Diamondbacks the World Series. And I did that just because I know that there's a few Yankees fans in here, and it bothers me. So anyway, uh, thanks for coming tonight. Uh, we've got a good night tonight. What we're going to do is we're going to talk about sports. Sports is a topic that we typically don't think about with deep reflection. We don't integrate our faith in sports often. Often we just approach sports as consumers. But tonight we've got a, a good panel. We've got a, a group of people who've participated in sports, who've thought about sports. We're going to be able to ask them questions. So throughout the night, if you have questions, you can feel free to text. Um, you can text in your questions. So go ahead and text all of life, followed by whatever your question is, to the number below, which looks like it's 411-247. Yes, I need glasses. Um, but it's going to be a good night. Before we bring the panel up, I just wanted to give us a moment to sort of theologically reflect on sports. What does God think about sports? How can we experience and enjoy God through sports? And I don't know about you, but when I was watching that hit in 2001, I was with a group of people and we were on the edge of our seats. And we, we, everyone in the room, just exploded with joy, except for the lame Yankees fan. They were crying. But we were fired up. And we've all, many of us have experienced those moments where we watched sports, where we watched an amazing play. Uh, uh, maybe it's a, a, an amazing last-second shot. Or in soccer, a goal to win the game. And humans... All of us, people, throughout history, we've tended to, we, we have a tendency to love and to enjoy sports and competition. But why? Why is that? It's kind of interesting. It is a game, but maybe it's a little bit more than a game because we get so invested in it. So I want to start tonight off by just asking a question that you can discuss around your tables or around the people with the people sitting around you. And we'll just take a few minutes on it. And the question is this, why is it that we humans enjoy sports so much? So take two or three minutes, look to the people around you, ask that question, and then I'll come back in a minute and lead us in some reflection.
Okay, let's, um, let's bring it in for a minute. Let's uh, draw our conversations to a close. And I'm going to go ahead and lead us in prayer for tonight. Father, Father, I thank you for, I thank you for sports. I thank you how we can participate as, as players, as fans. I thank you for all the ways that it reflects who you are. I thank you for uh, the fact that we can gather in this room and talk about this sort of topic and know that all of life, including sports, is under your lordship and for you. We pray that you'd bless this night, bless our speakers, and help us when we, uh, to walk out of here with our, to have our participation in sports fuel the flame of our love for Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. All right. I'm sure you guys had a good discussion and you came up with some, some good answers, but I want to give you my answer. I want to give you a thought that I have about this. Why do we love sports? Why are we drawn to the amazing play, to the, to the great team, to the incredible strategy? I believe that we are drawn to sports because sports is essentially a story. There's a beginning and an end. There's a winner, a loser. In the case of the Diamondbacks and the Yankees, a good guy and a bad guy. <laughs> there, and there's all kinds of drama and conflict and challenges in between. And I think the most essential aspects of sports point us to the ultimate story, the true story of the whole world, namely the story the redemptive story that we find in the Bible. Genesis to Revelation, this story of, the, of, of Jesus. And you may think for a moment, that sounds silly, and that sounds like something only a preacher guy would say. But I think after you hear me out a moment, you'll agree. I think there are four ways that sports points to the biblical story, to the true story, to the story we were made and that we clamor for, that we need. One, excellence within sports is, points us to the brilliance of God and the world he created. Two, the brokenness of sports points to the brokenness of this fallen world. Three, the heroes within sports point to Jesus, the hero of the redemptive story. And four, the victorious end of a game points to the victorious end of the biblical story. So let's start with number one. Excellence within sports points to the brilliance of God and, and the incredible world that he created. See, we are thrilled and enthralled by feats of human greatness. Just think about this for a moment. Just, just think about how amazing it is that someone can take a basketball and jump from 15 feet away and jump from the, 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 the free throw line and dunk a basketball. When we see stuff like that, there is something in us that draws us to it. It's, a, it's amazing. We love seeing people like Usain Bolt who runs faster than a car, at least my car. I got a pretty weak car. And, and just to see him sprint and blow past everybody else. 
We find ourselves in awe of someone like LeBron James, who's built like a defensive end, but is the fastest guy on the court and maybe the most skilled as well. And the reason why we stand in awe of talented athletes who, and the reason why we love competing in these games and doing it with excellence is because it points to the way God created the world, the very beginning of the story of the Bible. In Genesis chapter 1 and 2, we see the story of creation, that God creates everything and it's good. He creates the aerodynamics that it takes to throw a spiral. He creates uh, the, 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 the physics and all that's involved with bouncing a ball. He creates a good world, and he creates human beings in his image to reflect his glory. And when we open the Bible up to Genesis 1 and 2, we see uh, a few things about the biblical story that are hinted to in the story of sports. First of all, we see that we have a creative God who made the world with stunning and intricate order. Think about this. Anytime you see someone dunk from the, the free throw line, you know that behind that dunk is a God who made the calf mu muscle. And it's amazing. It points to his creative and intricate order. We see a God. Anytime Paul Goldschmidt and never someone from the Yankees hits a home run, you see the God who made the ball to bounce off the bat with so much power. He made the tree where the bat comes from, and he made the Paul Goldschmidt who swung and hit it out of the park. We see God's handiwork. We see the way that he created the world. Every time a basketball smoothly rolls off the tip of our fingers, and it, and it's, and it has the perfect spin, and it sinks into the net, we're experiencing and participating in this perfectly good world that God ordered. What a gift. What a gift. And you've never played a game of basketball where you shot and put the ball forward and it flew 70 feet behind because God faithfully and consistently created the world. We can behold his creation as we play, as we watch sports. Also, humans were created as God's image bearers to reflect his greatness. So anytime we see greatness within sports, we're seeing a little mirror that may point a little bit to the greatness of God. Think about this. Whenever you see an offensive lineman who's, who's a beast, who's huge, who's built like a truck, who could rip a tree out of the ground if he wanted to, whenever you see that person, we should be reminded of the inexhaustible power of God. And as big as that person is, they pale in comparison to the power of God. When we see a brilliant sports strategy, when we see a coach with a brilliant mind, we should be reflected of the wisdom, or we should be reminded of the wisdom and knowledge of God. Whenever we see a, per, a soccer player perfectly control a ball, or a hockey player perfectly control a puck, we can be reminded of the God who doesn't manage a ball that's about this, this size, but who perfectly and sovereignly controls the world with more ease than Steve Nash uses a basketball. The reason why we love playing sports is because humans are created in the image of God. And when we see the greatness within sports, we see it hints at the beginning of the story. The fact that humans are created in God's image 
and are reflecting the brilliant character of God. So when we stand up and cheer and see something amazing, there should be a part of us that's thinking about the God who created the world and created those people to reflect his image. That can make it a pretty enjoyable and worshipful time when you're watching a sports game or playing in sports. Number two, the brokenness of sports points to the brokenness of this fallen world. See, we all know that sports, it's not always great. It doesn't always work out. Sometimes our favorite athlete or sometimes we ourselves will blow out an ACL. How many times, look, the Cardinals, they've been bad for so long, and then their offensive lineman goes out with an injured knee? It's not supposed to be that way, right? How many of us have played golf? And you realize the frustration that the world is broken, right? <laughs> golf, golf will teach you that you are not perfect. People ask me if I play golf, and I tell them, I say, I play a, a a sport that's similar to golf, it's called destroy the ground next to a golf ball. That's <laughs> the one I play. But there's disappointment and there's brokenness. We see steroids. We see cheating. We see NFL players who are suffering with dementia because of the concussions. We see players who abuse women and abuse their influence to take advantage of women. If you grew up here in Arizona... You've had the last 15 years or so before the Cardinals ever had a good team. You, you know that things aren't the way they're supposed to be. And when we see messed up things in sports, it speaks to the biblical reality of the brokenness of this world. It tells us that things aren't right. And why aren't things right? Well, it points to the second part of the biblical narrative, the fall. In Genesis 3, it shows that God created this perfect world, a world of harmony, of shalom, of flourishing, but it's broken and vandalized by sin. And therefore, there's, there's all sorts of wrong things that happen from it. There's an alienation that happens from God. And we see that played out in sports. We should enjoy and glorify God in sports, but instead, people sometimes worship and idolize athletes and teams. It becomes their whole life. We see in the fall in Genesis 3 that Adam and Eve have a broken relationship. And from that, we see all kinds of social strife and brokenness. And we see that in sports as well. If you go to a Raiders game, you're going to see probably more of it. A lot of fights in the stands. Sorry, Andrew, I know you played for the Raiders. We'll bring you up here. Um, but you see a lot of brokenness. Just think about this for a moment. I recently read a story in Brazil, there was a soccer game where, where there was um, a player who was arguing with the ref, and the ref stabbed him. That's not where, it didn't end there. The family of that player came out of the stands, killed the ref, and like decapitated him on the field. That's taking sports too seriously. <laughs> Things are out of order. And anytime. You, you, you're like me and you get hit with an elbow at the YMCA and it breaks a tooth or, uh, or any number of things. We know that the world isn't right. You see, a, a quick story. When I was in seventh grade, I had waited to play on the junior high team. I really wanted to play on the junior high team. And uh, finally, the first 
first game we played. I couldn't wait to be on a team where other people got cut, and I was on the team, and I actually made the team. And it was seventh grade. We were down by two points at the very end of the game, and I was going to get the last shot. I inbounded the ball to a friend, or to the point guard. I ran over. I caught the ball, and I shot it. Three-pointer. The clock went off. Nothing but net. Unfortunately, the ball did not go through the rim before it hit the net. I lost the game for my team. And that's our experience in life. We see that things are messed up and they're not the way they're supposed to be because we have a disordered world because of sin and brokenness with the fall. It's not right. The brokenness in sports reflects the brokenness of our world. But then number three, the third reason how sports points to the redemptive story is that the heroes within sports point to Jesus, the hero of the redemptive story. We love heroes. We love the person who, unlike me, actually hits the final shot of the game. We love that touchdown pass, that, that Hail Mary to win a game, the hero. We love comebacks. Like the Bills a number of years ago, they were down by like four touchdowns at halftime, and they came back and won the game. We love the hole-in-one in clutch. We, we, we love heroes. We love the walk-off home run. So why do we love these moments? Why do we love the hero? I think it's because we all have a sense that in this world, the scoreboard is not working in our favor. And when we see a hero, that hero is pointing to and reflecting the hero of the ultimate story, who is Jesus. Just as someone makes the decisive shot to win the game, Jesus is the one who makes the decisive play, the decisive move, where he moves towards the cross, deals with sin, deals with suffering, and deals with all pain. Jesus is the hero who brings about the victory through his decisive life, death, and resurrection. And so when we see the pitcher who pitches the perfect game, it should remind us of the perfect life of Christ, how he made no error, how he made no sin, and that his perfect righteousness is applied to us. When we, the reason why we love the last second shot, the shot to win the game, is because we know that Jesus, in the right moment, when, when all looked bad, he went to the cross, and that great sacrifice won the game, the one move that won the game, where he dealt with sin, Satan, and death. And we love comebacks. We love the fact that we saw the D-backs make a comeback right there. And the reason why we love comebacks so much and we love to see the hero bring the comeback and bring the victory is because it's an echo of the ultimate comeback, which is the resurrection. As Jesus died on the cross, he showed his victory over, over all things and his lordship over all things when three days later he was resurrected. And so I think that he, when we watch the heroes and we watch them perform, we love it and our heart bursts out because our heart is longing for Jesus. And number four, the victorious end of the game points to the victorious end of the biblical story. Notice, 
at the end of any championship game. At the end of the game, they don't turn off the camera right when the game is over. They keep it rolling. And they watch the celebration. They watch the celebration as this team who's worked so hard and worked together, worked for this goal, finally wins the victory. And they are so relieved and so happy. They're jumping around. They're giving each other hugs. They're in tears. They're hugging their family, pouring champagne all over each other. They're bumbling through interviews just because they, they're overwhelmed with the amount of joy that they're feeling. And I don't know about you, but I tear up in those moments. They leave the TV on, they leave the camera rolling for a reason. Because our hearts long and ache for a victory like that, for a celebration like that. And that's how the Bible ends. It ends, when if you look at the final chapters of Revelation, it ends with, not, it ends with uh, tears of joy rather than tears of pain and sorrow. It ends with more overwhelming joy, more relief, more sense of family and connectedness and victory than any game could ever talk about. There is a day when God will make all things right and we will rejoice and celebrate and be overwhelmed by his goodness and the victory of Christ. So I think what this can do is the next time you're watching a game, it doesn't have to be a consumeristic moment, but you can love the game for what it is and it can cause you to see the creativity and the excellence of God's creation. It can cause you to mourn the brokenness of, of sin and the, the brokenness within this world. It can cause you to root for the hero of the game as you long for the hero who is Christ. And as, the, as you watch the victory and the celebration, you can know that you have an eternal celebration in Christ coming your way. So, let me ask you a question. A question to discuss at the tables as we bring the panel up. And the question is this. What part of sports makes you see and enjoy God the most? So go ahead and discuss that around the tables. We'll bring the panel up. And then in a moment, I'll draw us back together. And we'll, um, we'll talk. Panel. All right, let's go ahead and bring it together. If you have, uh, if you have any questions, go ahead and uh, text them in now. Uh, that, 
what's up on the screen there will show you how to, to text in the questions that you have. I'm going to go ahead and let the panel um, go ahead and introduce themselves. Here, here's the problem I ran into. I had this nice little seat set up and everything, but then I realized I couldn't see the screen, so we're going to have to roll with it here. Um, panel, why don't you introduce yourself? Molly, go ahead. Hi, my name is Molly Simmons, and um, I was a swimmer through college. I swam for four years at the University of Illinois in Champaign. And um, then I, after that, I moved here with my husband and Luke, who some of you know, Luke Simmons, who's a pastor at Redemption Gateway, and um, coached at Hamilton High School for about four years, coached the swim team there, and I'm John Arnold. I'm a member here at Redemption Tempe. I'm a freelance journalist. I specialize in soccer in North America, Central America, and the Caribbean, which is one region uh, in FIFA's eyes. So, yeah, uh, currently contributing editor at American Soccer Now, also at bylines in the New York Times, The Guardian, and a bunch of other places. So. I'm Mike Sanfratello. I'm the regional vice president for the Fellowship of Christian Athletes. And... Um, Great. Is that it? Did you, did you play any sports or anything like that? Oh, yeah. I played some sports back when this wasn't gray. And uh, we beat the Raiders twice, by the way. Um, uh, I played football collegiately at Northern Arizona University. That's right. Wow. Um, and then played briefly for the San Francisco 49ers. The Pee Wee Raiders don't count. <laughs> My name is Andrew Walter. Um, played quarterback at Arizona State. Uh, thank you. Hi, we are in Tempe. Uh, then I did play for the Oakland Raiders for four and a half years. Finished with the Patriots, and um, and I'm a member here. My name is John Demeter, and I'm on staff with Athletes in Action, and I've been on staff for the last 12 years. Served at the University of Arizona for seven years with athletes there, and now I direct the Ultimate Training Camps, which really integrates faith and sport on the field of competition is what we do at that time. I'm Brian Berger. Uh, I'm a pastor at Redemption Gilbert. Played uh, baseball at Arizona State. Currently, I'm a Little League coach of six-year-olds. <laughs> and uh, Noah, Noah Stewart's uh, personal batting instructor. And... Uh, <laughs> Uh, I was a high school, uh, after ASC, I was a high school coach uh, at Tempe High School for about six years, and then was on staff with Mike Sanfortello of Fellowship of Christian Athletes. So. That's great. So uh, what we have here is a bunch of redemption folks, and Mike, he's the only non-redemption guy, <laughs> but he gets, all the, he, gets, he gets most of the props, because uh, Ricardo, you know how almost like every sermon he's telling you about some guy named Fro who influenced him in his life? That's the Fro. So, um, yeah. So, uh, so we're really grateful for you and your influence uh, on Ricardo. Um, let's go ahead and get started with some questions. Why don't we throw the first question up there? All right. I have no idea. How should, how should we as athletes... Uh, Essentially, the idea of that question is, <laughs> yeah, the, the idea of the question is, um, how do you, as an athlete, compete and try to beat the other person when Jesus says to love your neighbor as yourself? If you're going to love your neighbor as yourself, I would want to win. So do you let the other person win? How do you compete 
And uh, how do you compete and want to win, but also love your neighbor? Brian, let's start with you with that. Wow. Um, I don't think competing, I think we've mixed up in our culture that we have to hate our enemy in order to want to beat him. Um, there's these moments when you watch Major League Baseball where the guy gets a big hit and he gets on first base and you'll see the first baseman kind of slap him on the, on the side or on the butt and they start talking and they're laughing. And I think there's uh, an appreciation amongst athletes for each other's skill um, that I think you can want to win the game and at the same time if the guy jukes you and goes for a touchdown, you can turn around and say like, that was... That was amazing. Mm. I've never seen a move like that or a pitcher that throws a slider that you've never seen anything break like that. And you can tip your hat at the end and say, that was incredible. But still have a desire to go up there and beat him the next time up. I don't think you have to hate your, your opponent in order to want to beat him. Yeah, that's good. Uh, well, how, does, um, how is competing against your opponent, uh, how is that an act of love, would you say? Well, I think, I think of, like, blowouts, um, when the team is undisciplined and doesn't really care uh, to play the game well or try hard, and how boring that is, you know? But when a team is, is fighting hard and they're, they're playing hard against you, I think it increases all, all the things that you're talking about that are great in sport. You love that competition because you're playing against a great opponent. So I think the more your team, you, the more your opponent is uh, competing against you, I think is an act of love. I mean, they're blessing me by giving me a great game, and mm. I get to bless them in return by giving them my best effort. That's great. That's great. Next question. Can I add something to that real quick? I'm going to be that guy. Go for it. Because I love this question. It's a great question. Um, because the majority of coaches and athletes are motivated by fear. Uh, because fear is a good motivator. It actually works. Um, the problem is that uh, fear is not the best motivator. Love is the best way to motivate somebody because you guys in the room that are athletes, you know the difference of a coach that you would do anything for, run through a wall, versus a coach that you're just doing what he says or she says out of fear or love. Um, and so I, I, have, I have an older brother. He's a year and a half older than me, and we used to just battle in the backyard every night. And I, he would just beat me and beat me and beat me and beat me. And I hated it. And for him to really love me, how do you think I felt if he would let me win a game? Mm. I didn't feel loved by that, right? So for me to really love my opponent, as, as Brian was saying, it's to give my best. Mm. To give my best because as I give my best, it pulls their best up, right? If I'm a tennis player and I want to perfect my tennis game, I, I can't get better without an opponent. And so to really love somebody is it, to give them your best, and if that means to beat them, hopefully in a, in a right way, then that's a way to love them. That's so I'll just add that. That's fantastic. Next question. Let's hope we can read it. I'm going to go this way. Uh, can you explain how God views more violent, aggressive sports like boxing or UFC? Let's start with you, Mike. Thoughts? <laughs> sure. Ask not, the not that I want to like participate in that with you or anything. So. That's the guy who looks like Goldberg. That's just great. Nice. Um, um, I don't believe that he would view any sport any differently. Okay. Um, 
there, to, to me, you have to look at it, everything's in context here. Uh -huh. You have, whether it's tennis, like John mentioned, or whether it's a, a violent sport like football, mm -hmm. um, I don't think he views it any different. So to me, it's a very simple question. There is no difference. The athlete inside either sport's all the same, whether it's swim, soccer, football, whatever, baseball, whatever it might be. So um, I think violent sports in, the, in and of themselves, um, you know, they're just, you know, I can't do the things on the football field that I used to do. Otherwise, I go to jail. I just can't walk down the street and just full on take a guy out. You know, Good then, point. Good point. Then, I, then I spend some time in jail. So you have to know how to temper what you're doing in that sport so that you don't take it outside the sport. Mm -hmm. But I don't think he views the context any different. Okay. Um, Andrew, you want to take a shot at that one? Any other thoughts? I think you played a violent pretty sport. Well. Yeah, I played a violent sport, but I, put, I played quarterback. So I was getting hit. Yeah. As opposed to hitting somebody. So, uh, no, that, I would rather answer another question. <laughs> okay, sounds good. Yeah, sounds that, good. Now, and that, that's not to demean the question, because I think there are people who think, wow, how can you, maybe the better way to frame the question is, how can you play such a violent sport hmm. if you are a Christian? That's maybe a, maybe that's a different question to answer, but how does God view the sport in and of itself because it has violence in it? I wouldn't think it has any difference. So how would you answer that question? the rephrase of how would you play it? Can, I re can someone repeat the question? Because I asked it, and I don't remember yeah. what it was. It was a good question. It was, uh, how could you play, or at least the way I'm interpreting it is, how do you approach a violent sport like that as a follower of Christ? You know, someone once said to me, if, if Jesus was a baseball player, he'd slide spikes up. That means he would give everything he has. John was on to something that says, the Bible says, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all of your strength and all of your might, heartily as unto the Lord. So literally, whatever context he has put you in, whether it be sport or not sport, whatever the context is, whatever your hand finds to do, you do it heartily as unto the Lord. And so if he has gifted me to, to play football, I knew right away I wasn't going to be a softball player when I struck out twice in slow pitch softball. Mm -hmm. Note to self, that's not where I need to spend most of my time. But mm -hmm. hitting people worked for me. So in that context, um, I believe God gives us all unique gifts and talents and abilities. And it's my job to bring him glory in it. And I don't think it's just to do the Tim Tebow or to point to the sky after a touchdown. There is an intrinsic pleasure, I believe, that God gives, gets by me performing to the best of my ability and in turn me having a pleasure from the Heavenly Father. Sometimes we, so many times we think we have to use platform of sport to share the gospel. Sometimes I want to remind people that God just gives you sport talent. Use it. And use it for his glory, for whatever way or whatever, he gets pleasure in it. You guys remember the story about Eric Lytle and the Chariots of Fire? It's one of the ones we, we throw around sport ministry a lot, but he said a great thing in that movie. He said, you know, God made me fast, and when I run, I feel his pleasure. And it's the same of any sport, whether it's violent or not. There's something that I felt when I was on the field playing the best of my ability. I felt like God was pleased with me. And there was a pleasure there. Some athletes don't sing well. We don't speak well. We don't play, sing in the choir. And in the church, it's a hard place for an athlete to find their place where they can bring God glory. But on the field of competition, because he let us jump high or run fast, there's a way we feel God's pleasure and we bring him glory. That's good. I'm not going to let you get away with that. Okay, so I agree with about 90% of what Mike said, and I can say this because we know each other. I don't think Jesus will come spikes up. I don't. Um, 
because it comes down to an issue of your heart and your motivation for why you're doing what you're doing. And I think that's what you're saying at the end there. It was more about an effort issue, not a, yeah. not a, not a like he wouldn't want to spike you, you know. Right, right, right. Because I don't think you're Maybe intentionally you. trying to hurt somebody. He might somebody. want to spike you. Well, he but, might. But nobody he else might, in here. He might want to spike me. So, again, it, it goes back to some of the motivations of why you're doing what you're doing. I definitely think God has created athletes uniquely to glorify him, to worship him through their sport, that you can do that. Um, so, yeah, that's the only thing I'll, I'll add or subtract from what you said, pal. With, so, I like what you guys are saying, but I'm going to stir the pot a little bit. Um, and I'm also going to ask Molly for her perspective here in a, in a minute. Um, I, I, I understand that you can do things with excellence and do things, uh, you know, for the glory of God and show your, your ability. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pose a scenario here, and you, anyone on the panel, feel free to push back on it. Um, one could look at something like pornography. You could say it's consensual. They're, maybe they're doing it with the best, to their best of their ability. Um, sex in itself isn't wrong, but sex uh, in that context of pornography isn't right. It's not healthy, those sorts of things. What if someone made the argument that UFC, like a, a fighting like that, would say there is a right place for violence and for restraint and things like that, but maybe that's limited to... Um, restraining the sin with, with criminals and crime and those sorts of things, the police department, the military, and not necessarily something to be enjoyed and watched and to, you know, to kind of get your pleasure out of watching it. Push back on that. Uh, I, think, I think I agree with what you're saying. The question I'm asking myself is if sin never happened, would we have UFC fighting? Hmm. If the fall never happened and we continued to cultivate and, and have dominion over the earth and love one another and live with communion uh, with God and we had sports and we had baseball and we had football, I, I'm not sure that we would have UFC. Now, I've, I've never competed in a sport like that, and so maybe there is a way that, that we could do that and love one another. Um, I don't know. That's my that's my that's my tension in wrestle. I agree that the competitor comes out in in uh, UFC. I'm just not sure the context is something that, without sin, we would get to. Real quick, I'm gonna I'm gonna shift to ask Molly a question. As speak as a parent and as a coach, to the issue of of violence. What are some of the things that you have to consider that you have to think through when parents are putting their kids into sports that might be a little more violent, or as a coach who's overseeing something like that? Well, as a parent, and, I mean, it, it could be with any... I mean, my, my background's swimming, so we don't deal with a lot of violence. Yeah. Um, no no so spears this is kind or of a, like No, that. this is kind of a tricky subject, but, mm -hmm. I mean, I think as a parent, it all comes down to monitoring and shepherding and caring for the heart of your child. And so whether it's swimming or um, baseball or football or wrestling or whatever it is, it's what is this doing on the inside to my kid? Mm -hmm. And um, is this encouraging them in their faith? Is this, you know, all of those different questions that we wrestle with in any decision that we make as parents. But um, I think that the violence can bring things out that you would want to have a certainly a, a strong pulse on. Um, yeah, and as a coach, again, um, 
I'm not sure about the violence as a coach. Just yeah. again, this is kind of out of context in no my world. No sharks when you're swimming in no there. No sharks. I mean, yeah. I got pool boys and whatnot thrown at me at different times, but yeah. um, those are all motivating things, <laughs> fear, again. Yeah. So, I'm That's great. Let's, let's move on to the next question here. Pivot. Uh, if God created man and woman equally, why do we value men's sporting events more? <laughs> John, you can go ahead and take a stab at that. Yeah, definitely. Uh, yeah, wow. Oh, cool. Thanks, Jim. No problem. Uh, <laughs> no, in all seriousness, I think that, that as a society in general, I wouldn't even say the West, I would say like every, in every human society, men's sporting events are generally more popular, more viewed. People pay to see them more often, uh, whatever. Um, but I would say that's more of a society thing than, a, than like a God thing, obviously. Uh, I think that women's sports are progressing well. I think especially in soccer, I get to see it a lot where women's soccer is arguably the most popular female sport. I think that the way it, just the way it is right now, generally, if you look at revenue, if you look at that, then go support your ASU softball team. I really do think it really does come down to, it really does come down to what, what you're going to support you or us globally as a society with your dollars. Yeah. Uh, ultimately, as much as, you know, sport is fun at the amateur level and everything like that, it really does matter what people are going to watch on TV and what people are going to pay to attend. And right now, the majority of that is male sports. So I think maybe it, it does fall a bit on the body to say we're going to value women's sports just as we do men's sports because we see sporting athletes as... Yeah as people that God loves that we should support. That's good. And I just want you all to notice, leave it to the soccer guy to call it sport instead of sports. You know, that's the good European way. Uh, but I didn't call it football. Yeah, there you go. That's true. Uh, Molly, do you want to speak to that at all? Um, I don't know. I mean, I think, I think John said it. It's a society thing. It's mm -hmm. not, you know, the first part of God created men and women equally. It's not, it's not a... Of value um, one over the other in terms of God's eyes. That would be a society construct. Um, and, uh, you know, and, and I think especially, you know, in my generation, Title IX and whatnot, that's all kind of changing and, um, and growing, and the opportunities we women have are um, a lot more than our parents had and whatnot. So that's a, that's a blessing. That's a good thing. That's good. That's good. I'd like to jump in here real quick. Do it, man. Andrew. This is just the, uh, for me, it's the idea that equal means same for too many people, and I think that's something that in culture uh, we do a terrible job at communicating. Equal doesn't have to mean same. You know, we talk about uh, we've all been created equal, um, and in terms of God's eyes, we are all equal, but that does not mean same. You know, I'm 6'6", six, six. my wife is, you know, five foot on a good day. Just kidding. <laughs> but that's not same. And yeah. so what? I, you know, I just say that... It, you know, that, that's not a big deal. I think, uh, look, I'm, I'm a terrible musician. Um, he didn't give me that gift. And so I think that when we put a value on, well, you know, we all go watch men's sports and we pay dollar, top dollar, whatever to do that, uh, that doesn't mean it's good or better. i tell you, that there was a commercial, um, it's a Nike commercial, I think, and it said, find your greatness. I think that was the slogan, and it's this image of a guy who's running in the country, he's a younger guy, he's overweight, and, and he's all by himself, early in the morning, sweating, running, no words in the commercial. Basically, they just pan 
out, and they show him doing his thing for 30 seconds. That guy right there did as much as any one of us ever did on the football field or any, any arena. <laughs> no one's paying to go watch him. You know, so uh, is that equal? Well, yeah, absolutely. But are we paying to go? No. So I just find the, um, you know, it, it's our perspective. And yeah. so I think that, you know, sort of recognizing that is, well, for me, helpful. That's good. Uh, I'm going to ask you a follow-up question that's completely unrelated. <laughs> but um, uh, Andrew, you might, you might know, you might not know, uh, he's going to be uh, running for a seat in Congress. And so as a politician, you're thinking about the common good quite a bit. So my question is, how do you, th- how do you think sports uh, or sport uh, contributes to the common good? Yeah, so um, definitely not related. You're right about that. <laughs> so I'm running for Congress, United States Congress, Congressional District 9. Uh, that is where we're at right now, and that's parts of six different cities. And, uh, you know, we could talk about that another day. But essentially for me it comes down to a few different things. Look, we're a part of a community, and I believe that as members of a community, the way we lift ourselves up and make this place better is one person at a time. You know, one person at a time going into your workplace, going into your team, going into wherever, and, um, you know, being light and salt and, uh, you know, preaching a message that that I think sports teaches, and that is, um, you know, we're only as good as our weakest link. And the way we um, develop a better community, um, the way we develop a great team is by getting everybody on the same page. And football for me was great. Look, I, you know, one of 100 guys over at ASU, we all come from radically different backgrounds. You know, we're talking about inner city, country, uh, you know, white, black, brown, gay, straight, you name it. I've played with all these guys. And I mean all these guys. And the beauty of it for me is that all these individuals, 100-plus guys coming from radically different backgrounds, getting on the same page and working towards the same goal, that's a beautiful thing. That's no different than our community. And community is a lot of different things. We're in a community here. Work is a community. Family is a community. Neighborhood, geographically, is a community. And so uh, sports is such a great teacher. Uh, sport is such mm-hmm. a great teacher of that principle, I believe. And so for me, that's... You know, that's when I think about my time playing. That's in large measure what I think about. That's good. John, I have a feeling that you'd have some stuff to say about. No? Brian. I, I'm just thinking from a youth sports perspective. I have a 10-year-old daughter and an 8-year-old boy. So we'll go to the park, and there's uh, this night where all the soccer teams come out, and you have the high school kids that are teaching the younger kids, teaching my daughter. And there's probably close to 300 kids out there with high school kids kind of doing drills. And the, and the fields are lined with parents that are all in lawn chairs. And everyone's talking and laughing. And, I, and we go out there and just think, like, this, this, is ama- this is amazing. Like, if it wasn't for sports on that night, we'd all be in our homes watching TV, not, not, not knowing each other, not blessing each other, not knowing what's going on in each other's lives and not being enriched by a relationship. And so I think just getting people out of the house to get them to enjoy physical fitness and activity and relationships as well as 
discipline and, and work ethic and all those things, I think is a total common good blessing that we experience in sport. That's good. Let's throw another question up there. And return. Will there be competition in the new creation? If so, what will it look like to win or lose to the glory of God? John, you want to take that? Um, when, when we say the word competition, um, I think in our culture we, we get it uh, uh, confused. Um, the root word of competition is striving together with someone else. So um, with that said, I think there will be competition in the new creation. Um, and I think you can win or lose the glory of God now. Uh, even though sin is involved, you also have the Holy Spirit um, who is indwelt in you if you're a believer, that you can tap into that power to trust God to be recreated, to change the way you think, the way you act, um, in all of sport. And so um, I also think part of competition, you know, there's a, there's a great little book by Wayne, Gru- um, Wayne Grudem uh, called Business for the Glory of God. Uh, and it's this little book about all these subjects in business and how can those things be glorifying to God. And he has a specific chapter on competition which I think is a really interesting read. So whoever wrote that question, you can read up on that. Another book I'd recommend um, is uh, Al Walter's Creation Regained. Is that right? Am I? Yeah, Creation Regained. Uh, great book. I'd really encourage it. Um, and uh, there's an article you should find uh, by Michael Goheen that talks about sports and competition for the glory of God that gets at some of that. All right, next question. Does God even care about sports? Isn't he more worried about our heart and relationship with him? Are sports just something man created for amusement? Mike, you want to take that? If God cared about sports, my Bills wouldn't have lost four Super Bowls in a row. So the answer is no. (laughs) Uh, I mean, four in a row. I mean, come on, Lord. Just once. Maybe he just doesn't like the Bills. (laughs) (laughs) anyways do i believe god cares about sports i believe god cares about the people of sport Um, and i believe that like i said earlier there's something that god's gifted us with as it relates to a talent Uh, it also reflects the heart that we have for competition i like john's definition of competition i encouraged him you know he didn't really do that with me but the (laughs) thing about it is (laughs) Yes, I believe God uses competition to bring out the best in us and, and equally with our opponent. And so there is a, useful, a usefulness in sport, I would say. Does he care who wins? I don't believe he cares for a minute who wins in the game. I think he's much more interested in each individual as it relates to them and him in relationship and then each individual in community in that locker room or community within that sport. But I don't believe he cares. If, if the question is truly asking... Do you think God cares who wins in sport or if, who wins? And I would say no. Now, I have heard athletes. I remember Reggie White. You guys remember the late Reggie White who believed God called him to Green Bay and, in his words, was to win a championship. I struggle with that personally. I struggle with the idea that God somehow sent a guy to a particular community to win a championship. Did that increase Reggie's platform to share the gospel? Maybe, but I don't think he needs the Packers to win a Super Bowl for his glory. Mm-hmm. And so that's the best way I could answer that question. That's good. 
I'm going to throw a question to, to Molly related to that. Uh, I think a part of what's, what's connected to this is how, uh, how participation in sports can shape a character it, and, and how coaches can influence people and those sorts of things. So can you talk about, um, can you talk about how character is shaped, how people are shaped and formed through sports? Um, yeah, I mean, that's a huge part of sports. I think that's, I mean, when I look back on my um, sporting life, um, that was the main thing that I got out of it. And that's the main thing I look forward to with my own. I've got two small girls. Um, it's just the, the character that, and just the, the furnace that sports creates and just the stuff that's in your heart that rises to the surface that you didn't know was there. Um, I was, a, like I said, a swimmer, and so we spent a lot of time looking at a black line. And so you learn um, perseverance, and you learn hard work. Um, I mean, you know, just, yeah, I think that's the, the biggest part of sports. As a coach, too, I think, um, you know, there's a we talked about, it was hinted on before, just the, the, how you motivate as a coach um, can build or kind of um, destroy character in your, in your athletes. Um, but, you know, trying to not use fear <laughs> is, mm. is hard because it's effective. But using um, love and encouragement because, you know, you know, especially in the, well, any level, but at the high school level, a lot of these kids, um, you know, they need parents. They need a parent. They need a, someone to love to be in their corner um, to encourage them, to, to challenge them, to, to work hard and to grow in those areas. So, um, yeah, the, the character issue, I, th I think for me, for me, it was never about, you know, being a professional athlete or, it was about getting a good education and and the growth of, of character. So, okay, yeah, great, great. Um, and what you may not know, um, uh, Luke, her husband, told me this that Molly was actually the coach of the year as a swimming coach. So that's pretty cool. That comes with some credibility right there. Uh, it was it was a few years ago, right? It was a few years ago. You're you're, you're delayed in your applause. Good work. Um, John, I, I want to ask you a question. Uh, this is something that's, that's kind of interesting. Any, so, John, you write. You're, you're a freelance writer. You write some really good articles. I've read them. And when you get to the bottom of an article, you get the comments section. And you just get some of the most heinous, harsh comments. Probably only takes 10 comments before somebody's comparing someone else to Hitler. Um, you know... <laughs> Those of you who have participated, you've probably had some nasty things written about you in the newspaper. Um, but yet, as believers, it seems like part of the, the culture of discourse around sports is often kind of hostile and kind of intense. But as believers, we're called to honor God with our words. We're called to exemplify the fruits of the Spirit. Can you just talk about how we should engage in discourse about sports as believers? Yeah, I think one of the most important things to realize as a journalist and as a sports fan who is participating in discussions online or in real life, I guess online is kind of real life, but however you choose to participate in discussions, I think it's very important to realize that, I mean, these athletes are real people. Um, they have bills to pay. They have to set up direct deposit for their paychecks. They have to drop their kids off at school and that kind of thing. Um, when you look at people through the lens of the fact that they're people, 
Um, I think that changes how you look at things. I think it's very easy to look at an athlete and just say, I see that person on TV, I don't like the team that they're on, I don't like the things that they say, therefore I don't like them, I don't like what they stand for, and I'm going to write mean things about them and say mean, mean things about them. Um, so as a journalist, it's very important to seek the truth as much as you can, especially as a believer, it's of utmost importance to be accurate, be truthful, and also to keep in mind that, that you're writing about real things that affect real people. That's good, that's good. Let's throw another question up there. It says, what are the issues that parents should consider when thinking about their children's participation in youth sports? I'm gonna throw it to, to Brian, who's uh, written some children's books on the way, right? Uh, who's a youth coach and those sorts of things. What, what would you have to say about that? Not your, not your dance. Um, one of the things I'm struggling with right now is, is youth sports has raised the bar on what it takes to compete at a high level. In other words, I played at Arizona State. I never played club ball. I played three sports my whole life uh, until high school, and that was really the only time I ever played baseball in the offseason. And you won't find a high school team, a good high school team these days, where 100% of the kids didn't play club year-round. And so what I'm struggling with is, as sports has raised the bar on what it takes to be successful, am I willing to raise my bar and um, sacrifice things with family and, and community uh, nights like tonight? to play this game that I love. And I think at some point, the bar is too high. And, and the church has to say, we, we tap out. Uh, I don't know what that point is, but I think it's one of the things that you're going to have to wrestle with when you have young kids in sports is, what are we willing, what are we willing to sacrifice to have our kids enjoy sport? And I don't know if there's a right or wrong answer, but that's one of the things you're going to have to consider. Um, and I think uh, coaching. I think coaching who your kid plays for makes a huge difference. Um, we're learning now, we're watching the other teams that we're competing against, and these are, so last year was seven-year-old baseball, and you've got adult men that are screaming in these kids' faces. And I'm just thinking like, this is, I want, I don't want my kid anywhere near that guy. Um, so I think there's, the character of the coach and the organization that you're playing for, I think, is a big deal. Yeah. As when we talk about discipleship and our kids learn from following and, and from adults, to a certain level, your coach is discipling your kids and how to deal with competition, bad calls on the field, and um, there's a lot of undoing that you got to do as a parent when you have a bad coach, I think. That's good. Um, yeah, go ahead, Mike. I think that's maybe the best question of the night. It's a, it's a cultural problem we have. There's a sport culture problem. Um, there's an old saying in sport, you coach like you were coached. And I think that maybe as an older guy, I maybe am more reflective of that because um, there's a lot of new coaching theory. But back in the day, you, you coached like you were coached. And if you, if you were shamed as a, as, a, as a player, then you will turn around and shame for results at the next level. And the Ministry of the Fellowship of Christian Athletes, Athletes in Action, and ministries like that, we really say the only way to change the culture of sport is to change the coaching in sport. And we, we truly have aligned our ministries to say, how can we reach the heart of a coach? 
Because if you reach the heart of a coach, coach has influence, right? Positively or negatively in your life, at some point, coaches influenced you. And so what we're trying to do is reach coaches with the gospel. Let's see heart transformation, not just behavior modification. Let's see coaches who are truly coaching for the right reasons so that they would understand their influence and platform. Right now, most kids still respond to their coach. They may plug out their youth pastor, their parents, even their teachers, but the coach is the key to their dreams. So if he's the key to their dreams or she's the key to their dreams, they are listening and they are watching and they are willing to do whatever they say. And we feel like if we're going to fix sport, we've got to start with the coaches. Uh, I could list off a litany of people that have coached me in my life and missed the opportunity to make a huge difference. Uh, I played for a guy named Brad Childress, and he was the head coach of the Vikings, and Andy Reid was my position coach. He's the head coach of the Chiefs, and Marty Mortingwig. I had four guys at NAU became head football coaches in the NFL, and I cannot remember to this day a minute in my life with, for spending five years with those guys they ever spoke anything great into me. That man's dad right there, Bill Berger, was my kindergarten coach all the way through eighth grade, and he is my hero to this day wow. because he understood his platform. He understood that my job is to, to, to literally minister to these kids. He wasn't even the strongest Christian, but he understood his platform and he spoke into them. And so coaches make a significant world of difference. If we want to change the culture in sport, we've got to reach the coaches. That's my thought. That's good. Uh, John, I want to throw a question over to you. Um, what would you say as you, as you look at the culture uh, of athletes, of sports, of things like that, whether that be publicly or with high schools and those sorts of things, what are some cultural things that concern you about how people are pr approaching sports? Yeah, I think it's the things that are mentioned right here, the, the coaching, um, the culture of sport, the bar being raised. I mean, you think if you look at movies or, or film from the 70s in an NFL locker room, it's like worse than any high school locker room now. And so mm -hmm. the, the business of sport has been raised um, because everybody thinks their kid is Tiger Woods. Mm -hmm. You know, because Tiger's dad came out with that book of how to, how to train a champion and how to train a Tiger. And like... Your kid's not Tiger Woods. Um, genetically, he's not. So, but, but because of our consumeristic society in America, we think that's how it is. Uh, and so we buy into that. And so, um, you know, growing up, we would go out in the yard and play football. We'd go in the back and play basketball. And, like, there was no private lessons happening. I mean, like, and now a kid's not even, if they're not on a club team, or if they're not getting individual lessons, then they don't really have a shot. You know, my 10-year-old's already decided, no, I'm not an athlete. I don't do that because the bar is so high. And so us as parents, we go, okay, well, we have to trust God with that and because and, uh, he's athletic, but he doesn't, he doesn't want to be a part of it. So we said, mm -hmm. okay, that's fine. So that, that, that concerns me. It does. Sure. I'd also add um, something that really concerns me, and maybe it's the fact that, um, you know, like everybody else up here, we've lived it or been, you know, on this side of it. It's just, it's just the attention that we place on sport. Uh, to me, it's much like on Hollywood or, you know, pop culture or academia or government or whatever the institution is. You know, so much emphasis is placed on that. Everybody knows, you know, who um, Goldschmidt is, but not everybody knows who Adam Brown is. And I just read a book, Adam Brown was a Navy SEAL, and the name of the book is Fearless. Uh, he passed away. He was killed in action. 
in Afghanistan. Uh, he was a God-fearing man, and the challenges that he overcame in life um, pale and make any challenge that Goldschmidt um, has achieved. And I don't know the individual. I'm sure he's accomplished much. But I guarantee you it pales in comparison to what Adam Brown accomplished and what he achieved. And so that's something that bothers me. Do I place a high emphasis on the Adam Browns of the world? Yes, I do. And, you know, maybe that's my institution. But at the same time, that's just something that I would really encourage everybody in the room to, when you're going out there into the real world or just living life, you know, and interacting with people and they want to talk about, you know, ASU football or LeBron James or you name it, I would also just, you know, throw a little nugget in there about perspective. You know, I think that would just be so great. I mean, if we're all believers, um, or those of us in the room who claim to be, I think that's one way that we can really impact society is, you know, try to break down those idols, break down those, you know, these structures, these these monolithic, you know, um, things in society that, that we just, you know, hold at such high esteem. I, I just think that, you know, perspective in a, a situation we approach, things like this, are it's just very important. All right. Final question for Brian here. There's, there's a video that's going around, um, and it, it tells the story of a, of a guy who could have played in the NFL but didn't and decided to be a pastor. Um, now, you're a pastor, um, and uh, I think w w when we all watch that video, we're all moved by how God led this guy. But the question I'm asking is, is it better to be a pastor than an athlete or a banker or, a, you know, a butcher or a candlestick maker or any of those things? Uh, would, you, would you go ahead and, and respond to that? Uh, no, I don't, I don't believe it is. I don't think there is a, a sacred and a secular. I don't think uh, the guy who crunches numbers and makes the spreadsheet and makes a business work uh, is any less glorifying to God than someone who's preparing a sermon. And uh, I think we all have different callings. Um, you know, we say all of life is all for Jesus. And I think what, what that gets at the heart of is what wherever God has placed you, uh, you do that for the glory of God and you do it as good as you can. I think, um, I think there's been a lot of, of people that have been gifted and skilled for the marketplace that have left really good jobs where they are being a blessing to companies and to communities because of the misperception that if I go and be a missionary, uh, that's going to be somehow more glorifying to God. And so um, I'd, I'd say no. All right. Can I just add just because um, Chris Norman, the guy you're talking about, athlete from Michigan State, um, Which, I know. By the way, I'm not throwing him under the bus. No, yeah, yeah. I, I would just say because I, I I know Chris and he would agree with that. Mm -hmm. He came to Christ at, at the Ultimate Training Camp in 2011 and um, has a great heart. His whole point, I I think the video got marketed a little wrong to maybe your point because mm -hmm. um, it made it seem like going into ministry is better than NFL, but it's the opposite of what Chris would even say. Mm -hmm. He would say, "Listen, I'm trying to walk with God. I'm trying to be called wherever He calls me. I want to go," and so. God was calling him to go to seminary instead of pursue his NFL dream. So just know some personal perspective. On that's it. great. That's great. Well, uh, that's it for our questions for tonight. Would you go ahead and give them a hand? All right. And um, 
I wanted to just kind of give you a heads up of what we have coming for First Wednesdays. In October, we're going to talk about justice. So the first Wednesday of October, we'll be back here talking about justice. November, we're going to have another food and faith night where we're reflecting on some theology of food and hospitality, and we're going to fill the parking lot with food trucks and a farmer's market. It's going to be a lot of fun. Um, and in December, we're, it's going to be a real treat. We're going to talk about serving the city, and we're going to have one of the best city missiologists and theologians named Ray Bakke come out and speak to us. So we'd encourage you to come out in the months to come. We're thankful for you being here tonight. And uh, let me just pray and close our night in prayer. Father, I thank you for everyone who's um, on the panel, and I thank you for the ways in which they are investing in the lives of others, and they are pouring into the lives of others. And, then, and it's so evident that they are doing that because the love of God has been poured onto them by the Holy Spirit. And God, we pray that you would bless them. We pray that you would bless us. We pray that as we participate in sports, as we, uh, as we participate as fans, we would find every high emotion that we feel that it, w- it would point us to your glory, every low emotion that we feel that it would cause us to, to realize that the world isn't right and that you are king and that you are one day going to make all things new. And in the meantime, we want to enjoy our participation in sports as we enjoy you, our great God. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.